Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hey, welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show brought to us by Capital Financial Network. I'm so thrilled to have Ryan Bartlett on my show today from True Classic. And Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Ryan, so you tell us a little bit about you. You you just mentioned that three and a half years ago you started this company, kind of taken Instagram by storm. <laughs> you guys must be listening to me with through the phone because every time I'm like, honey, that shirt doesn't fit you very well. I get this ad and then I buy the thing and I'm a slave. So <laughs> no, but it's really honestly you have a great product and like as an actual consumer, um, you really have hacked like the boring plain t-shirt and made it into something more elegant and um, and it's funny how clothing is really, uh, it can be like a trite thing or it can be like a really cool way to like help express your identity and feel good and build confidence in the world. And you guys have a lot of ethical ways you're going about providing um, fashion into the world. And I'd love to hear a little bit of your story. Why don't you start from the top and share with us your background and what led you into being an entrepreneur and being in retail and, um, and your idea for, for building this brand? Yeah. So I started actually out in music. I thought that music was going to be my path. And I think it was really because my parents were great at um, encouraging me. And so everything that I was good at, they wanted me to just go all in on. And so for whatever reason, music just came very naturally to me and playing instruments came very natural. And I was able to get very good very quickly. And so everyone just said, oh, that's your path. That's what you're going to do. And um, so I trying to go on that path and make a living at it because my you know my first year at Michigan State I flunked out like I was just not there for academics and I'm also just not like incredibly smart as an academic so I was just never fit for that world to begin with so much like most creative people right like they're just not in that space to sit there and listen to a teacher so I you know I started I went to a music school after I flunked out of uh, Michigan State and that was definitely my world. And those were my people. When I got there, I looked around and it was a lot of people just like me. And uh, we all wanted to be Dr. Dre and, and, and Jimmy Iovine. So, um, you know, we all had the same passions and I felt very at home around those people. So fast forward a year after I graduated, I moved to Atlanta to try to make a living in music. And it was an absolute nightmare. Um, oh, if anyone less. knows what it's like to work in a recording studio, you're basically just a glorified PA who orders food and cleans the bathrooms. And, uh, you know, I had no problem doing the dirty work. I did a lot of dirty work growing up, um, cleaning repos for my, my parents, which was a nightmare. But, um, you know, I, I, I think I just, I tried to make a living at it working in a studio. There was never any paid positions, so I never really made any headway there. The only money I made in music was playing at restaurants. I would play piano at, at restaurants around Atlanta. And I would make like 50 bucks a night if I was lucky. 
And so I tried to do like two of those a night and, uh, and, and make at least a hundred bucks a day. Um, and it was really rough and obviously I could not sustain that. So um, poker kind of, uh, poked its head out and, um, a lot of my friends were making money at that. So I got into that and started making some good money doing that. And I thought, Oh, I'll just, you know, follow poker and do that for a living. Cause look, that's where the money is. And, and, you know, forget music. I can't make any money. So on I went with my poker career, which was very <laughs> short-lived, you know. So there I was failing at music, then on to poker. That lasted uh, maybe two years. I moved to Vegas and went broke pretty quickly and failed at that. So I was like, okay, what's next for me to fail on the docket? So uh, <laughs> went into the nightclub industry, got burnout with that, again failed, and went back to school um, and tried to get in another Vegas? music In Vegas? Did you go to school my, in Vegas? My, I got the, did you go to school in Vegas? No, I went back to Florida. Okay. I went back to Florida to get my bachelor's in music business. And then from there, I went to LA and uh, studied my master's online through the same school. So, but again, it was just insanely difficult to make headway in that industry in LA even too, because they treated you very much the same as they did Atlanta. You're, I was basically like a taxi driver and I hated my life uh, in that, in that uh, environment. So... Through desperation of basically, let me get out of this industry, I started a website called SEO Direct. And it was a digital marketing company that focused heavily on SEO, search engine optimization for people that don't know. And I worked my way up to page one for like SEO company Los Angeles and all the keywords that would drive leads that way, right? So I finally got to page one, started getting some leads, started closing them, started building a book of business. And once I made enough to quit my job, I was out of there. So wow. that was the end of my music career. And um, <laughs> yeah, sayonara. And so <laughs> did that for like a decade, made a very nice life for myself. Um, you know, had great clients, super consistent cash flow, unbelievable business. Um, it wasn't making a ton. It was like a million a year kind of business. It wasn't anything too crazy, but it was enough to basically live a good life in LA. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end of my tenure at SEO Direct, I was uh, I really wanted to get into e-com and I really wanted to bring more value to people because I wasn't really feeling satisfied with bringing value to my clients because it was such a small group of people. And mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to bring value to a large scale. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do in 2018. And I started throwing a couple ideas around to my wife and uh, I, I said, like, what about the blank T-shirts? Do you think I could do something with that? And she thought I was absolutely crazy to embark on that commoditized industry. But I started telling her, I was like, look, I'm looking at this space. I don't feel like people are really doing it right. I don't feel like they're serving the, their, their community correctly. Um, I don't think they're providing enough value. I think all their missions suck. I think they're just checking the box as far as the mission. I think people see right through that when you're you know, putting inauthentic uh, missions attached to your website. So I wanted to create something real, something that was special to me and my family, um, which was very heavy military. And so that was kind of the genesis of the whole thing. And then we launched it. Um, I launched it in 2019. Um, I brought on two partners that both had experience, one, one experience in apparel, one had experience in finance, both of which I had no experience in. So we were just really the perfect DNA of founders to bootstrap this thing, work our asses off and, you know, uh, keep our operating expenses insanely low so that we were just profitable the whole way up. 
That's amazing. Um, Ryan, that's such a stunning, like, hero's, hero's journey, so to speak. It's like those things that you said were failures, um, you know, all that pop culture is clearly made you fluent in culture, which you're then bringing into a brand. And then your work in um, the SEO world, like, is helping you with your marketing and understanding how mm-hmm. to get an audience and how to convert them and and just understanding those mechanisms of e-commerce. I mean, that's so powerful to use all of that. And then you found the right players. So what was it about like t-shirts? Like, why did you mention, you're like, hey, what about this blank t-shirt thing to your wife? Well, is it because you personally were like seeing the minimalist style of clothing more and going, hey, this is, this is important. People are, I, I see this movement and you were, you, you were, you were kind of on the edge of tastemaking and you saw that or what was it about t-shirts? I mean, you mentioned the military and your family background. I'd love to know more about that. Yeah. So it was definitely, I think all of us, when we move through life, we notice inconsistencies, right? Like every day, at least I, I tend to look at things and just say like, why are they doing it that way? It just seems it would be better to do it this way. So I constantly mm-hmm. live in that mind state for better or worse, which is kind of a nightmare uh, when I go to like amusement parks or somewhere where there's just <laughs> so much inefficiency happening. I kind of yes. lose my mind because I'm always like, why are they... Why doesn't the line go this way? And then the like, it's so yes, much like, I'm yes. just, <laughs> it drives me crazy. Totally. So the t-shirt thing just kept rearing its head with me because I just felt like there was one brand that was doing it kind of okay, which was a brand called Caraloha that makes these bamboo shirts. And I grew up with them. Oh. And I just remember feeling like they're so expensive. Like this is crazy that um, there's just not a really good fitting t-shirt that is reasonably priced. Right. And I kept going on this journey of trying to find it. And it wasn't because I was trying to start a business. It was because it was really a pain point for me. And so oh, yeah. the more I dug into the journey of it, the more I realized that there was white space here and there was really mm. a, potentially a business for someone to jump on. And the guys that were playing in the space were just not doing a great job, in my opinion. And I was just very underwhelmed by what they had built. And so I just thought I could do it better. I could do it faster. I could make a better product. I could build community. I could, um, you know, just really make the whole experience better for the customer. So it was a real issue. It w- and, and it happened very organically, which is how I think a lot of people start businesses. It just starts small and then they start digging in. And before you know it, it becomes something. So, you know, it just, I, I, was, I was lucky in the fact that um, I just kept going on this particular one issue. And then I stood back and I was just like, why can't I just build a business around this? I know maybe it's not that big of a business. Maybe it's like a million or five million a year. I'll be fine with that. I don't need to like go crazy here. So it was really just a side project. And I had no idea the TAM was as large as it really was. So it's crazy. I mean, we didn't expect it for sure. That's incredible. And then to answer your question about the military, um, my family is all military. They are either PD or they are ex-military or they are generals or they, I mean, you name it, um, just a long history that I'm basically trying to pay homage to. And, you know, I was one of the guys that didn't go into the military. So I always felt kind of like the black sheep in a way. Um, you know, I was like the creative guy who just pushed back against it. And so later in life, I always wanted to find a way to get back to that, you know? And so that's really what started that mission. Amazing. So I love that you 
were able to reconcile the pain point of like feeling like you don't belong because you chose a different trajectory for your life um, by actually making harmony with you being you, being true to you in authenticity, but still finding a place for that heritage, that culture that come from so you could belong. I think that's really a tremendous point of view. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that whole corporate social responsibility purview, like what you're doing in that space, like help us understand, you know, how can people be involved? How can people support? Uh, I mean, I, for one, don't have very many people that I've personally grown up with that were part of the military world. But as I've as I moved along in life, I've met a lot of these individuals and I'm just humbled by their sacrifice. Like the and it's the entire family. It's the spouses and the children. Like I am blown away. I live here in Hawaii where we have like the most military per capita. And I just think they're like legitimate superheroes. Like I, I can't believe what they go through and the discipline. There's things about it that are broken, like every other culture and system and community. But they're but the net net is just like I just I wish our community was more respectful, more appreciative, and more aware of what actually goes into a life chosen to be in the service of others like that. So these servicemen and women are phenomenal. And I love that you've chosen to get behind them and and the carnage of what comes out of their devastation of being in such traumatic situations. Um, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty full on. So to, can you share us a little bit more about that issue and how we, you know, how listeners can be involved or support? Yeah. So I am totally with you and I echo that sentiment. I mean, I, I witness it firsthand, the PTSD that these guys experience. I mean, one of my cousins who was a general, um, to this day, the guy will not sit with his back to the door. You know, we'll go out to a mm. restaurant and he'll have to position himself in a way where he can see who's coming behind him. And it's just mm. bizarre to me to live in that kind of okay. weird world that he lives in. And even if um, something drops near him, he's really he gets really spooked by it. Like it's like, like like a gun's going off or something. And it's just like, dude, it's yeah. it's forever too. Like these guys just have it ingrained in their totally. bodies, can't help it. And so you know, just having lived through that and watching what it does to people, um, I've just developed such tremendous empathy. So when we first started. My stepfather and mother moved down to Savannah from Michigan after I left, and they immediately got into this tiny house project where they were basically getting homeless veterans off the street and into these uh, little tiny houses that they built. Wow. And so they needed funding, and we were there to help, and that's really what started it. So, um, cool. you know, it's evolved over time because as we've gotten larger, the you know, what I've realized is that there's, you know, the military, the homeless military, uh, they definitely need a lot of help, but there's a lot of people that need a lot of help, right? Like it goes beyond mm. just military. And so as the company's grown, uh, I mean, for instance, you know, there's like 60,000 homeless people in LA, 6,000 of those are homeless veterans. So wow. you know, what about the other 54,000, right? Like what about those guys? Do they not deserve free clothing and, and, you know, something? So yeah. It just, it got to the point where I was like, you know, I want to keep helping the veterans and I want to always make that the focal point of the mission. But there's just so many other people that also need our help. Even people um, that just don't have the money to buy clothing, you know, which are a lot of families in LA who are month to month and they can barely afford the house or apartment they're living in because the expenses out here are insane. So we do a lot of donating to churches because churches are really good at knowing who needs the clothing right. the most. And schools mm -hmm. are as well. 
so the schools know which parents uh, really need help. So we, we give a lot to those organizations. Um, but now that we've done it long enough, everyone comes to us because everyone knows who we are. They know how much we give. They know if they ask, they're going to get it. So um, like I'll come in every week and Cece, our assistant, will have a full list of demands basically for the week from me. She'll say, okay, um, Village of Vets needs this, uh, LA Mission needs that, uh, Start With One Today Foundation needs this, and I'll, we'll just like go through it. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to figure out the best way to deploy uh, the shirts based on what everyone needs. And um, it's such a great part of my job to be able to just, you know, have the ability to give with a few sentences of just like, yes, yes, do that, go ahead. And then we try to spread it out beyond t-shirts too. If there's other organizations that just need, um, you know, toiletries or any other kind of thing that really, you know, helps people out, we're there for them ultimately. So I love being that organization that is just kind of like on-demand help. And uh, I think it's the best way to give. I Now that I've done this long enough, I've kind of crafted a much better way of executing with charity, which is essentially um, ask questions, right? Like most charities will just say, hey, we just, you know, give us money. We need a check. And to me, that's just not efficient because if I'm looking at what you actually need, I can get creative and find somebody that I, I know that can actually get you something much better at a lower cost. And, and I can figure it out essentially, just like I would solving a problem in business. I'll, I'll help solve a problem for you. Just tell me what you need and then I'll go track it down essentially. Yeah. So I do a lot of that now. They'll just say, we need X, Y, and Z. How can we make it happen instead of getting money? And then they try to figure it out. I just figure it out for them. And I just that's think that's cool. such a better way of hacking charity and saying, um, you know, how can I basically be an extension of you and, and kind of make the most out of this versus writing a blank check and just, you know, who knows where that money's going. Not to say we won't do that sometimes, but... I like the I like the first version better. Yeah, I love how you're looking at it like we're on the same team. I'm an extension of you because it's not that writing checks isn't a fabulous way to support causes because sometimes you need personnel and overhead and things covered and that's the only way these things get done. Absolutely. And, but but I love that you're it's not that you're demonizing the overhead or demonizing their need for money. You're just saying I have a certain skill set. Can I first think creatively about you know, with an open aperture about the assets I have in my proverbial pantry to like, let's make a meal. You know, it's just the creativity that 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 you're bringing really what you're bringing is your entrepreneurial spirit and mind and heart, which is like an incredibly rare skill set. Like I taught um, social enterprise and social entrepreneurship in a university for a year as a visiting professor. And um, I did a lot of research in this and it, and it seems to be about only 4% of the general public actually have that quote unquote, entrepreneur DNA. And it's something you can't teach. It's like who you are. So it's, it, it's a, it's a mindset. It's a propensity. It, you know, grit is a part of it for sure, but it's like an actual zooming back and saying, what is, at, what are all the assets of the table and how through like relentlessness will I, you know, whether there's like a, a wall or some kind of a barrier to entry, which every entrepreneur is going to run into a bazillion times. Do you know, do you make a stick of gum and make dynamite like MacGyver? Do you like get a ladder and then climb over the wall? Do you send termites to burrow down? Like, do you do like a, you know, um, a swing on a on a Tarzan vine? Like, how do I figure a way over this wall? Is the entrepreneur just has this ability to 
really have an open aperture and bravery to do that. And that's not how most people think. Most people literally have more parochial, like more operational and integrative thinking. They don't think as layered as most entrepreneurs. It's a rare mind. And so bringing, when I think, when I, I think, so I spent 20 years in the nonprofit sector in social impact consulting. And, and I would always say, I don't want your checkbook. I want you. And I really meant it. It wasn't some flattery or some angle because I saw them as some walking ATM and that would like feed the ego. It was like genuinely like your giftings, what got you to be a steward of all these resources. That's why I want you, your mindset on these problems. Like we need the best people to solve societal ills, not the best available people. You know what I mean? So I, I appreciate that you're doing that as a business. I love that you are proud that it, people know you as a group to come to, to get their needs met. So you're seen as generous. What was it that instilled this generosity in you, Ryan? Like, where did you get this value set? Was this from your childhood, from Hard Knocks Life? I mean, where did this come from? I definitely grew up a very meager upbringing, but my parents were very giving and they were pillars of our community. I, I lived in a very small city, so it was like 20,000 people, uh, one movie theater, five gas stations, couple restaurants, like very small. But I grew up around two people and I was very lucky that I had parents that were this just great people. And I watched them take care of a lot of people around me growing up. And at the time, I just thought it was very normal. I, I didn't know that they were special ultimately. And until I got out in life and just saw that most people didn't care. And especially when you move to a place like LA, which is such a different vibe out here. It's just so odd to me that you can walk by someone and not look them in the eye and say, hello, good morning, or just have like a little shred of Southern hospitality. <laughs> and uh, I just did not grow up with that. I mean, we didn't lock our doors in Cadillac, Michigan. It was just a very safe place. But um that's where I got it from. I got it from parents that were forcing us into soup kitchens very young. Um, and trust me, we were kicking and screaming all along the way as kids. <laughs> we didn't, we definitely didn't want to be doing that, that with our Saturday, fun. but yeah. yeah, my parents were heavily involved in church. They were heavily involved in community, giving back. And I didn't know any other way. So as I grew up, um, and my wife is the same way, you know, thank God I found someone who is very charitable and is always looking for the good and is very optimistic and, you know, just loves giving. So it just furthers that in my life. Even when I get bogged down in business with all the things I'm dealing with, she's always trying to find a way to help people. And so I love that about her. So it, it's really my parents. I got, I got lucky in that aspect that they were such givers that um, it built such a good foundation for me moving forward that I, at the time I didn't realize would pay so much dividends later in life for so many other people until now, you know, now that we're here and people are asking me these questions, I get to reflect and realize that I owe it all to them, really. Wow, that's so sweet. And I mean, I hope they get to hear these kinds of moments where you pay credit to them and, and express your appreciation. And I think you're right, we get influenced by mentors and through osmosis through the people around us, right? But at the same time, your heart has to resonate with it. And you had to choose top dead. I'm curious, like with you, you know, you have these self-proclaimed failures in the music industry and otherwise, and you felt like uh, you didn't hack it. Then you had the success in your tech company with SEO and marketing company. It, did you think that, is that is what made you the confident? Gave, gave, is that what instilled the confidence in you to try to build a brand and be an entrepreneur with 
true classic or was or or did you just kind of always have that audacity where you're like, I can do it like, you know, and you just push through and never saw those failures as like a part of your identity or whatnot. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I looking back, I realized that there's even though I didn't make it in music, so much of what I learned in music and creativity and working that side of my brain paid massive dividends in business. Because I look around at a lot of the people that I talk to, a lot of my contemporaries, and they just think very differently. And the creativity just isn't there for most people because they just haven't exercised that muscle as much as I have growing up. I mean, I really thought it was going to be my whole career. So I, I spent a good portion of my life building that. And then I just completely abandoned it because it didn't make money. But here mm-hmm. I am so much later in life and I'm just, I'm using it so much in the creative that we're putting out to the world in the way that I think about business partnerships and relationships and negotiations and everything I do in this company has an element of creativity into it. And a lot of times it's the difference between getting something done right and standing out and, or just like not doing it at all. So, you know, I had a lot of confidence, you know, with through SEO direct and building that company. And again, I didn't know that true classic was going to be this big. And so and at the time, I just didn't care if it was like going to work or not. I was like, oh, this is just, well, let's give it a shot, see what happens. I definitely think I'm bringing value to people. That's all I really cared about. I wanted to bring value to a lot of people. So I was like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if it does, great. You know, if it doesn't, I'll just start something else. I'll try, I'll try another consumer product and, and see how it does. But so I wasn't like totally hung up on t-shirts necessarily. I just... um I had a lot of confidence that I could execute really well, given my background and all the skill set that I had kind of built over the years. And so I just felt like I was really built for more consumer facing products versus client services. So, you know, just because it, it really brought the full package together in service based, you know, I was really just focused on SEO. Whereas when you're in the consumer business, it's everything. It's not one thing anymore. It's operations, it's merchandising, it's manufacturing. It's it's just a whole host of skill sets that you have to tie together. And I'm not really an expert in any one area. I'm just a jack of all trades, um, which is kind of how you have to be as a CEO. You have to be dangerous enough to understand, but not the absolute expert. Like we always hire people that are much smarter than me in everything that we do here at the company because that's just the way you have to run it. You have to have people here that can execute much, much better. So I've been lucky to be able to surround myself now that we can afford great talent. It's pretty amazing to be in the company of such smart, capable people that help you solve all these really difficult, nuanced challenges that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. That's so cool. I bet that is really fun to see it grow to a certain size. Where? What is your guys' current trajectory? Are you looking to have a certain series of influx of investment? Are you looking to um, go public? Are you, do you have kind of an exit strategy or like, hey, this is the path we're taking in a vision? Yeah, I think a lot about this these days uh, because I have to, and we're just getting our door knocked down by every VC and PE <laughs> company in the world now. So, um, but it's interesting. As you know, the market is not good. So even though everyone's got a lot of dry powder and we're one of the best companies on paper to invest in, um, it's still rough out there to get someone to actually write a check, even though everyone says the same thing. 
unbelievable business, never seen anything like it. Uh, talk to us in six to eight months. So it's just like, I'm, it's the same song and dance I've been hearing for a year and a half, essentially. I'm really tired of talking to these guys. Like, I'm really just over it. Like, I just want to have bankers deal with them and go auction style and figure it out because I am tired devoting time and energy to these guys and then just having them be like, well, we're going to pass this round, see you next year or whatever. It's like, dude, I just devoted like three weeks of my life to yes. walking you through the data packages. And this is what you're just going to shoot me an email randomly. And just, it's just, it's, it's frustrating. But to answer your question, yeah, we are thinking a lot about it. I mean, we have some growth initiatives that could definitely take on some capital, but the, the real, you know, the reality is, is we're profitable. So we don't need the money. It would be nice to do a secondary at some point this year and maybe take some chips off the table just for you know diversification purposes. But we're in such a good place. We don't need to do anything. We can, we can certainly just ride this out and be a private company for the rest of our lives. But if we are going to bring on money, you better believe it's going to be someone that is bringing strategic value to the company. So they better be bringing something to the table. Like for instance, we don't do any wholesale, which is crazy to think of considering we're plain clothing. We're like, we're like the perfect wholesale company in a way. So like whoever we bring on, they better have some expertise in that area or places that we're deficient in essentially, mm -hmm. because just writing a check doesn't do much for us these days. It's like, that makes sense. you got to bring real value and be a real partner. And by the way, you also got to let us run the company. I don't want anyone coming in here who thinks that just because they give us a check, they're going to somehow run the business now and tell me what to do. And none of us want bosses at this point in our careers. So um, it's just going to have to make sense across the board. But for now, we're in such a good place and we're growing 70% a year. So, you know, we went from, you know, 15 million the first year to 90 million second year, 150 last year. And this year, we're probably going to do between 250, 270 this year. So, like, what do we need a check for right now? You know, no. other than yeah. taking some chips off the table, there's no real reason, unless we were going to ramp up um, our, uh, retail, our stores, which we're talking about, you know, potentially we have five right now oh, and cool. they are pretty capital intensive to do, but we are trying to really get to a, a certain profitability on each store before we ramp it up. But when we're ready to do that, we certainly would need some capital or we'll just grow it slower, slower. It's not that big of a deal to us. So, um, but yeah, I know that's kind of a long winded answer, but it's, uh, it's something I'm thinking a lot about, but um, we just don't need it really right now. Okay, so this is a little bit of a um, like a harder question or maybe maybe not. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, the criticisms that that just in general your vertical has about fast fashion and sustainability and supply chain and all that stuff? Those are important things that in this generation, Gen Zers, millennials, we like we got a bit of an education to be like, I don't want to, I don't want blood on my hands. I don't want to be a part of something that's jacking the environment and hurting little kids. And you know what I mean? Like a hundred percent has, you know, any kind of negative, you know, a further upstream impact or further downstream impact. I'm not thinking about and that conscious uh, consumer mindset. Like how do you, I mean, I, I've read a little bit, so I'm kind of leading the question, but like, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you're, how you're addressing that, how you think about that. Yeah, you know, this isn't really my forte. This is more Linda who handles manufacturing. She knows a lot about this stuff. It's it's definitely things that I'm questioning her on and she is way ahead of it. 
every time I answer, ask her about like, how's it going? You know, she talks a lot about using more sustainable manufacturing um, and, and trying to do it the right way, essentially, which is ultimately where I want to be. But it takes a lot of learning. Like, I don't know right. a ton about how to make that work. And you're kind of at the mercy of the manufacturers that you're dealing with and their best practices. But everyone that we use on the manufacturing side are some of the top people in the game. So like people that manufacture for literally the biggest brands in the world are the same manufacturers we're using. So we're in really good company with all of them. But it's definitely something I'm thinking a lot about because as we get bigger, you have more responsibility. We're doing things more at scale. I'm definitely very much aware of, you know, how we impact the world. And so I'm thinking a lot about it. It's a little early for us. I mean, again, we're still in year three and a half. It's so crazy. it's like, I, we're going to get there for sure. I know we are because I, I keep bringing it up to her because people ask me these questions periodically. And I always go back to her because it starts to concern me too. Like I'm, I'm very much like you as a consumer. I'm just like, well, what are we doing here? Like, it, is this as bad as what people are saying it is? Because if it is, I'm not gonna be able to sleep at night. So we need to start figuring something out now. The good news is, is that yes, it is a conversation we're having actively. It is something that Linda's been working on for us. She's having a lot of conversation with the manufacturers about this. And by the way, the manufacturers are catching a lot of heat about it already. So they already uh, yeah. know, and they're already yes. making changes on their end to accommodate this and essentially say, are we doing the best thing we can for the environment? What else can we do? And I'm still educating myself on the whole process so that I can kind of help. But you know, part of it's out of my hands. Part of it is us potentially moving to manufacturers that are doing things the right way. Um, but you're still at the mercy of whatever terms those manufacturers have for you, how good of quality, you know, uh, co consumable products that they're making or, or, or clothing. And so it's a tricky balancing game of, you know, who you can use and, and, and how you can make it work with them. But I'm learning. We're trying to get better every single day. This is definitely on my radar though. And I know it's important to a lot of people. So therefore it's, it's important to me. Well, Ryan, I mean, this kind of growth is on, conventional it's it's irregular it's unprecedented and i mean you're kind of like you have a tiger by its tail how has that been for you as a your your spouse do you have kids yeah i have three two? kids under the age of six. Oh my gosh okay so i have three boys too as a parent as as a family member as a person in the community you know how are you surviving this neck-breaking speed growth like what is it like in your life like our listeners here on the, uh, you know, with our podcast are a lot of really high achieving people. They're really high, high network people. There are a lot of people that have been really successful in their careers. They're people who are doers that get stuff done. Um, and I think that this question of like balance, you know, and women get asked this all the time. Um, it's one of my pet peeves is like, I'm always, oh, I'm often the only woman on a panel is an executive and I'll often get that question about balance. And I'm like, what about the men, their fathers and husbands and sons and brothers and friends? And like, what are you talking about? Balance is a human issue. You know what I mean? So how do you, how have you found a way to navigate that with, I mean, I, it really is unprecedented growth. And I don't think you have time to sit back and like, you know, collect, oh, hey, there's this one guy out of a hundred million people that also grew this fast. I can ask his opinion. Like, cause there's just no one like you. You're really, you're, you're an outlier. You're a renegade. 
So how have you made space for to breathe and take care of your health and be a present dad and husband and all that kind of crazy? It's yeah, it's definitely a constant struggle to find that balance. I think that anyone that says that it isn't tough, it just really is not going through it at the same level. So, I mean, the first two years were hell for me because, I mean, the first year of the company, it was still just me, Nick, and Matt. We did everything. There's the three of us. We were doing the work of like 15 people. I mean, it was Jeez. just insane. But we were dead set on being profitable. Like we were, we were not going to raise money or go in debt early on. I mean, we had some credit card debt, which, you know, everyone does early on, but we just overworked ourselves for sure in those first, that first year until we started hiring people and making our life so much better. I think that what you have to do is you have to find great people who can really take the load off for you and who are just smarter, better versions of yourself, essentially. And, and allow them to come in and help the organization and take the heat off of you because you just can't do it all. And I'm certainly um, not that guy anymore where I'm going to be in the weeds of absolutely everything, trying to figure things out at you know 11 p.m. at night like I used to. So it's really like when, for instance, like the first two years were really tough. And then I brought in uh, Ben from Meta. And he was a monster. He just came in and started crushing and he took so much weight off my shoulders and it allowed me to have such a better balance. And I remember my wife uh, in the first like month or two that we hired him, just having a noticeable uh, reaction to the way I was feeling and my attitude and, and being less tired. And she's like, you know, Ben is really helping you, isn't he? I can tell like you're just not as stressed. You're not, you're not working late at, late at night anymore. And so that helped me tremendously. Um, so I think part of it is just really figuring out how to delegate and find people that can make your life uh, incrementally better so that you can focus on the things you want to focus on. So for me, what I love to focus on now is just creative. Like I just work on with Nicholas and Greg Tube and these comedians that we're working with and sports people and I just try to come up with cool campaigns that that are going to resonate. And so now I get to do the fun stuff and I get to come and go as I please. And life is so much better. But, um, you know, poor Ben is in the other room right now on a conference call. And uh, here I am talking to you about about living the life. So that's the difference is, you know, and, and now, you know, and Ben is now feeling exactly what I felt for the first two years. And now we're trying to figure out how to, like, keep his load more balanced. So right. you can only do it for so long. Like you really, eventually you're just going to tap out or it's going to affect your home life because you're just going to always be tired and frustrated and, and, or just have anxiety about everything. So there's no perfect way for anyone. I don't think, I think the magic though is just learning the art of delegation and giving up control. If you can't give up control and you're just a control freak about everything, it's going to make your life really difficult. So you got to just be able to like, and, and by the way, I did the same thing at SEO direct. I was running that thing for five years by myself and that was wow. way too much to do. It was insane that I did it that long, but, um, it was just, I took too long to delegate. And then once I did again, life got so much better for me. And then I looked back on it and I was like, yeah, I should have done that a long time ago. And I would have found that work-life balance much quicker. So yeah. delegation yeah. for me. It's interesting because when people look on the outside of 
the life of an entrepreneur, they're like, well, it's only been three and a half years. Like, and they're like, it's like, no, Ryan has been doing this work set ten, you know, 10 years before this because he had five years of running his other business. Before that, he had five years in the music yeah. industry and in school. And like, no, this is a journey, like the amalgamation of the experience that you brought to this moment so that you could be hyper, you know, into the work and having outcomes so quickly. That was earned through a decade plus of of hard work and and earned experience and knowledge, right? Um, but 100%. you also you also hit a thing that had what my mentor would always call tailwind. You know, you you actually have you found something in the market, like you said, that was white space. It was like there's real potential here. No one's doing it, and so I've often talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, and I've realized this like dichotomy or or. I guess the paradox that is in luck versus preparation or talent and smarts versus just opportunity. And it's like, it's totally both. Like, how do you, it's like two sides of a scissors, you know? Um, like I'm a person of faith and in the Christian world, you taught, you know, C.S. Lewis, he talks about grace versus works being two sides of a scissor. You need both. And it's like, I just think that's so true. And is it not fair? You need grace of, of God or whatever you believe of the situation, the market, opportunity, timing, luck, the right people, you know, because what if you'd found uh, a Ben and then he ended up being this nefarious critter who was like a, a totally, you know, embezzling money. And, you know, we've yeah. had some of those. I've had some of those in my journey where I partnered with people I thought were wonderful. Everyone knew them. They were competent. And then it's like, oh, wow, they have like an integrity chip totally missing. We're screwed, you know, like and that. You know, I mean, I look back and I'm like, well, I could have seen these red flags, but, you know, you would have, should have, could have, like, you're in it and you just have to take it. And that's what the entrepreneur, I think, does is takes all of this. But I think that um, I love what you're saying of just like, yeah, this is this is absolutely what's on deck now. But you're the cool part is you're you're obviously incredibly self-aware because you're trying to help alleviate your brother now is in your same position. And, and then you're going, how do we solve this problem now? And so you're very like people focus you're focused on your customers you're focused on your employees you're focused on your partners um and it's very clear that when people practice these good principles they do really well so i love i love what you're about um so in terms of like you know looking at your marketing strategies you talk about these comedic uh campaigns that i've seen some of your stuff that's it's clever and authentic and fun and you've done a lot yeah you've used comedy really well in your communications what are you doing in terms of like the brand affinity world or sponsoring things or partnering with affinity marketing, you know, where you get like this celebrity or this brand or this, you know, event or something? Have you guys done much of that? And how do you feel about that as a guy who understands e-commerce so well? Honestly, I hate it because <laughs> it's so impossible to track. And we are mm. absolute attribution scientists. So what do one of the things that we do better than anybody is we're just able to leverage best in class creative, but more importantly, we're able to measure the effectiveness of that creative down to, you know, the smallest click or impression or whatever it is that we're trying to measure exactly or conversion. So we just, you know, Ben is crazy at this. He is the guy that goes the deepest on incrementality and measurement and MMM, and all the stuff that you absolutely need to hold your dollars responsible that you're spending. We're going to spend over $100 million this year on advertising. You better wow. believe that we scrutinize every single dollar that we spend, and none of it's fluff. If, if 
if there's any vendor on, that's listening to this that knows who we are, they know how tough we are when it comes to negotiations because we really, really want real partners when it comes to vendor relationships. We want people right. that are really working for us, giving us unprecedented pricing because listen, it's podcasts like this where I'm throwing out vendors' names and going to bat for them. So I expect them to go to bat for us ultimately. So, you know, we just, we're huge on measurement. It is insane how deep we go on it. It's a daily battle of figuring out why this is happening. You know, the business feels softer today. Let's dig into it. What is it? And then, you know, it just, it starts over the next day. So it's just super important, I think, when you're spending this kind of money to have such unbelievable scrutiny on every dollar. Um, And the brand partnerships are a nightmare because you just cannot, quantify the results. It's like, you know, if, if I'm going to get like um, a celebrity to say something on social that I just know that's going to do almost nothing for us. What is going to do something for us is getting them to create content that I can spend against and quantify those results. So whenever I'm talking to somebody, whether it's a sports athlete or a comedian or, or whoever, I'm li- basically living in a whitelisting world and nothing else. Like I'm not interested in the celebrity that wants to do a shout out for 50 to 100K on Instagram and we'll see what happens kind of vibe. I don't live in that world. I'm like, no, 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 you're going to, we're going to pay you, you know, what you need to be paid, but you're going to create a piece of content. We're going to have that content. We're going to put it in Facebook ad manager and we're going to spend against it so that we can actually quantify the results versus your organic uh, you know, zero attribution post that you're going to make and send people to our website. So I'm doing more of it this year than probably ever. Um, we have a deal we're finalizing with Fernando Tatis, um, who's a baseball player who's um, really popular. Um, we're, we, we're doing deals with uh, country music artists this year, um, but they all fall under the same bucket of like whitelisting. Like we're, we're definitely not just doing some, you know, kind of spray and pray type campaign. We just, we don't believe in those. It's just, it, it, they just, it's just, you have to do things in D to C that just make sense on paper and, and, and the data has to connect. Otherwise you just don't know where your money's going. It's just going into the ether. So, um, like we're doing a world series campaign this year, um, world series of poker, Um, so that's going to be fun, but yeah, we have, we have a handful. I wouldn't say that we're doing a lot of it, um, again, to the lack of measurement, but we're doing a lot more this year than we ever have. I think it's something we need to start doing a little bit more of, but, um, I'm not overpaying for it. I'll tell you that much. That's so reasonable and so insightful. So you mentioned these vendors, Ryan, do you have any, you want to give a shout out to the ones that you're like, these are the best. If you're in e-commerce, work with them. Yeah. Or is, it, is that I mean, your secret so sauce? Many Do you want them. to hold them close? No, there's no <laughs> secret sauce. I mean, listen, there's no secret sauce because everyone uses everything and I tell everyone the playbook anyway. It's just, yeah. listen, the, secret, the thing about the secret sauce is that the execution is the whole game. So yeah. I can write a book. I could give you absolutely every step-by-step play that we made along the way to get there. But guess what? Someone's got to execute on that. So humans are the secret sauce. That's what people, I think, don't realize about that secret sauce. Humans are the secret sauce, right? It's not the playbook. I mean, Gary, if if everyone, if there was secret sauce was out there, everyone would be executing on Gary V's advice and creating these monster businesses, 
right? <laughs> but it comes down to the humans that are there to really do it and follow it through and find ways out of no way, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, I hear a lot of people in our organization are always hesitant about me getting on podcasts because they say that they're like, but what if you give away something? I'm like, do you know how hard it is to actually execute on anything I'm actually saying? Like, it doesn't really matter what I say, but, um, so vendor wise, oh man, I could say, um, on the, you know, international side, we could not have done international without global E. They have been unbelievable for us. Um, I would say that uh, Tube Science, Narrative, 99 Ads, all those guys who help us create content have been great. We also have an amazing in-house team uh, between Nicholas and Mariah who really run our in-house creative. Um, I mean, Realize Digital helps manage our Facebook and Google. Um, I mean, there's just so many vendors. We have We spend an ungodly amount of money on vendors, but um, we have a great relationship with everybody and we really work closely with them. And we're definitely better clients than most of them are to us because we just um, we just care so much about creating that kind of synergy between the two of us. And to me, that's how you get the most out of the partners. If you're both going to bat for each other, then there's real aligned interest versus just, you know, let me just pay this retainer and here's your work and, and there you go. I like to go into situations and say, you know, what do you guys need from us? Like how many, you know, can, how can I bring more clients to you? How can I bring you more business? And not enough businesses are working in that relationship with their vendors because I think they think it's going to take away from their efforts, but ultimately it gives you more out of the people you're working with. You got to incentivize them just like, just like they're, you know, yes, you're paying them, but you also have to, cause like that wears off, right? Like when you work with a vendor in the beginning, everything's happy. Everyone's working hard after a couple months it starts to like the, the diminished return curve starts to hit, right? You start to like notice that they're just not on it as much. And um, so you have to find ways to incentivize them uh, so that everyone can work well together. Otherwise, you're just going to be firing vendors left and right. And you're going to be moving and, and, and going back and forth. So um, we're very thoughtful about who we work with. That's amazing, Ryan. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for just, you know, giving a shout out to the partners that you have and your team. And it's very clear that you're very aware and grateful to the people who've gotten you where you are. And I wish you all the best luck. And you, it, it, again, in this difficult market, but it seems like you guys have something real special and you'll just keep, you know, going where to the what? To the top. And so anyway, I appreciate yep. you coming on. It was a joy to meet you. And I really, really um, loved having you on the show, Ryan. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.